Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, this is Dr. Drew, and you are listening to This Life with Bob Foy and Dr. Drew. Here we are. Hey, everybody. It's another episode of This Life. Bob, welcome. Here we are. And we have a special guest. We have a couple special guests today. Uh, we're starting off with Fred Stoller. Hey, Fred. <laughs> I came here to your nice house. not sure what I'm supposed to do. Well, you're going to just ask us questions. You're okay. going to engage in good conversation. Great. And, you're uh, going to be the naive uh, uh, addict professional okay. trying to find out where your friend should go. <laughs> all right, all right. We have uh, Anna David coming a little bit later. And uh, Bob, anything on your mind before we get into Fred's? Well, side? I went to Charlotte, North Carolina. I went to the Dilworth Center in Charlotte. The most amazing people, the most amazing place yeah. for young people, and just you would have loved it. Just treat well, them I, like how it used to be. Right. I'm, I'm gaining faith. I've talked to a couple other programs, and uh, I, I've spoken to the professionals there, and, and felt like I'd met long-lost relatives or something. It was the yeah, weirdest thing. They it was know like, what I'm talking I, about. I, I, I really felt like I've been like in jail or something and somebody let me out you know it's like oh oh my god you're free we're here we're okay and the language is the same yeah. the priorities are the same the the great outcomes are there well it was all a given it's just the most excellent people doctors of psychology yeah. running groups yeah. and just like high quality yeah and the real discussion was at lunch and at dinner and i was there for three days and i spoke at their event or whatever was what to do about these kids. And that's the thing is, rather than the Los Angeles atypical thing is how to exploit them financially because they're never going to get a job. They're never going to well, be that's sober. What, that's they're what, never going to... That's the, you know the, what I mean? the, the virus that is the treatment that in Maybe this area. we're perverted by living in LA. because so maybe, maybe it's better elsewhere. Yeah, because anyways. But the idea is that that they were having categories of surrendered and unsurrendered addicts, which is the contemplative stage. Right. I introduce i was talking they treat about them that differently in different categories yeah different they, programs? they need different treatment plans yeah, right. wow imagine yeah, shocking, that shocking. rather than just nope. a cookie cut for yeah, everybody just put them on suboxone they'll be fine <laughs> come on now come yeah they're on gonna now. go to stanford as soon as they we finish billing for them oh <laughs> my god so that's a los angeles treatment so it was really refreshing to be around all these cool people and and then right. I went to the Charlotte Hornets game, and they won. And to be and to be fair, that's the kind of program we ran for a long time, for years, and we were put out of business by Malibu. Wait, See, no. you think we were put out of business by I don't know what. I we, knew years before we were going to get put out of business. But I'm sorry to interrupt. This is my first time listening to your podcast, yeah. so it's very much about obviously um, treatment, treatment. Well, not it does, just it, listen, we want to be about life and philosophy and all kinds of things, but we. Drift, we've drifted into this when it's on our mind. Okay, so you guys did all, what you did on Celebrity Rehab before the thing. You knew each oh, other for years. running treatment. Oh, yeah, years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, ran, okay. we, we ran a hospital-based program that I would tell everybody, I said, look, the sickest, the, the patients that everybody else was done with, we can handle. The incorrigible, really? the medically ill, the psychotic, the severe psychiatrically impaired, we got them. Because if we you know it. how to deal with them, you know what and to we, do. And we had wonderful outcomes, fantastic outcomes. Well, see, I, you know, I'm just some jerk who would read about things in the newspaper and go, "This guy will never get treatment." When you see those E True Hollywood well, specials, so you never, Fred. Funny you would say gave that. up on anyone. Well, not only that, no, no, we would kick people out quite routinely, oh, and that—that's how we got our reputation. We were tough. If somebody was willing to work with us, we we got them. If they gave us shit and destroyed the program or infected other people with their bullshit. We were very. We'd send them to other good places. So we you never that. had a guy come in and go to Bob. I don't know. This, this, what, this is hopeless. Oh, pretty much most of the cases. Okay, not only the patients, but the doctors would feel that way. We had a lot of that. We, and I want to say, if you, we had one thing. If if you didn't need a other than a ventilator, like you needed to be right. on a breathing machine, we got it. 
We got. We can take care of it. Seizing. And we had different levels of care and psychiatric care so we could move people to get the care they needed, then come back and face their issues with us. We had aftercare. And that that doesn't exist anymore. But but your point about never giving up is we what created Subway Rehab was what, Bob? Well, I just was sick of how uh, Lindsay Lohan and Britney Spears were getting treated in the media and how everybody was hopeless. This is before they even got treatment, I think. What it was. Right, they're being treated as just, they're so goofy, they're trying to get attention. Remember that? And Uh, there was a real negative. Or or that they, like Robert Downey, would go and Charlie Sheen and just have, just work out and have fun. Right, right, right. Right. Yeah, that's what that's what became the norm. But this is even before that, where where these people, because they have so much, they shouldn't be on drugs and all this kind of negative, and, and uninformed we, and we, attitude. We, we didn't prefer, but we did treat a lot of ad, of uh, celebrities because we just we had a good reputation, and, and also reputation for keeping it very confidential. We treated a lot of people you never heard about, right? And uh, and they uh, were. They were sick. They were really, really sick. And we got tired of the press saying that they were on vacation or a spa, spa treatment. Well, let me ask you. Uh, Drew was on, I do a podcast once in a while. And there were two questions I forgot to ask. Okay. One of them, you know, just being an outsider watching your show was, because it's TV, <clears throat> obviously they want drama and conflict. Now, when someone goes to a rehab and obviously they're paying a lot of money, they really fight with each other. Like and, crazy. Oh, right? yeah. Real? Okay. I, I oh, told for them, sure. I, told, I thought that was amped up for the No, VH1. I told the producers that they, they wanted to monkey with people. I, and I threw fits. I kept going, these are patients. They are ill. Stay the fuck away from them. And don't worry about the conflict. Just keep it the will, cameras just keep rolling. The cam- <laughs> it will, it's, there's always shit going down because on a drug unit. As an outsider, I would think. If you're paying, and I don't know what they cost, but I heard like 30000 for a treatment, why would you be spending your time fighting? Well, they here's are. the thing that was a real mistake <laughs> okay. in the public's interpretation well, for, 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 of celebrity rehab. First, Let answer me explain. That question. Answer but, why they fight when they're in their treatment. Because if they're sober and they're fucking miserable. Right. right? And, they, and they, have to, they have to externalize that misery onto other people. Yeah, to point it and project at and other blame, people. Blame, blame, blame. But one so of the it's things not just that, a celebrity thing with oh, them no. going at each other. But there was no. a thought that that was all false right. and those people were acting. Let me tell you something. Most of those people went on that show to rehabilitate their image. So they were trying extra hard wow. not to act out and not to be an asshole. <laughs> right. And they were still completely out of control crazy. So right. imagine how irritable, restless, and discontented they feel being off their drugs okay, of choice. Okay, you know, the, the thing, I, I'm being ridiculous because the whole thing is you, nothing rational works. I'm asking something rational like, hey, I'm paying so much money, I, I don't want to waste it <laughs> fighting. But the whole idea that junkies, it's not rational. I used to right. follow the NBA and go, they're drug testing this guy and he'll lose millions. Roy Tarpley. Roy Tarpley. Yes, yeah, so he was the first. He said he's he the first guy that lost a hundred million dollar yeah. contract. And there have been a few others. And and we can't judge because I learned when I had a depression. I told Drew that rational thought goes out the window. When someone is suicidal, you can't go. Oh, you have four kids. Rational thought isn't there. Is, is no. out the window. So I learned not to judge. And, and uh, let me for everybody. I'm gonna locate Fred in culture. Fred was on Everyone Loves Raymond all the time. You recognize his voice, no doubt. You know him from television. Yeah, yeah. Just yeah, yeah. dumb and dumber. Just some it, guest spot stuff. Yeah. And um, wrote a book called Maybe We'll Have You Back: The yes. Life of a Perennial TV Guest it's, Star. It's very That's funny. what I was at the West Hollywood thing with. with oh yeah. Book. I saw Bob. Uh, there was like a book little Fair. festival thing yeah. it was it was, it was hotter than shit oh, like 110 that. degrees I, I, it was so miserable okay my other question about rehab i forgot to ask is um now let's say someone talks me into going to rehab now what's their incentive because i know rationally or they know your first one usually doesn't stick you need four so what's their incentive <laughs> to go to, to really no, the actual, help it no, the actual statistics are a third of the time it works right away. Okay. Right? The third, a third, a third is an old study that was made by NIDA, the National Institute of Drug oh, and I thought Alcohol. it was worse than that. No, a third, a third, a third. Doesn't well, mean they'll remain abstinent, but they won't return to treatment, and somehow the ideas make sense to them, and they eventually will make them make sense. There's a second third, like me, that went to 24 places, yeah. and just fighting yourself and everybody around you. But somehow in that fight and that continual perseverance and, and tenacity means that the things make sense to you. You're, you just you, have to work want, it you out. You want to get well. You have to yeah. work it out. You want to get well. And a third of the people don't ever want to get well. 
And I think that third is growing because of pain management, yeah. because of Suboxone. Well, what I'm trying to say is when someone does an intervention, they may think, well, I've heard so many stories that this one won't be the one. Well, it, here's the, the, I've always said it. If people followed our directions, it would be the one. If they okay. stayed in long I enough, see. they followed our direction, it would be the one. Most people make, they don't want, they want to go back work, they have exceptions, they have this, they have that, and they fight their way out. And that's, that's usually why it doesn't work more than anything. And that's the disease as much as anything I that see. makes them think that way. But um, I, I, as far as what motivates them, usually the first treatments relationships family friends co-workers wives that kind of thing financial problems like or legal problems and the courts that's usually what brings them in would you say or and medical the sad problems thing or medical is problems. the courts you can take out of it now because they're not prosecuting anything great so so fred so they're coming in motivated externally it's sort of they're, they're so like what makes them really do it the time not just an nba contract or what, drug what, test what makes them get what, what makes them finally two, two things tick, two, yeah two things click. a, a a profound belief that they're going to die if they don't. Okay. In their toes, they have to believe that. Every inch of their being has to believe that. And but, they ha- and and they have to not want to die. Yes, that's right. They have to so not want to die. It's not about keeping a relationship or a job. Oh, none of that matter. All those priorities go away I because see. the big priorities use. But we're talking about sick addicts. I was reminded again, Bobby, that they I take a continuum. care of sick. It's a yeah. continuum. Their people are not as bad as the people we routinely took care of. But mo- often people get there. Um, so, so uh, believe I'll give a personal example so you can understand. So, first time a girl told me, I'm going to move out unless you stop taking drugs, I said, let's get a moving van. <laughs> when my freedom started getting taken away from me. And for men losing freedom, that gets in there. But what, what those things create is, changes direction, is people suddenly, it kind of sinks in. Like they see themselves as they are, as your freedom, that kind of thing. The other is... And Look I, on your mom's face sometimes. Well, and, and I've found that if you if you start letting other humans in in a real way, right. it gets harder. You start you're making contact with, you start seeing yourself more clearly because you're allowing for an interpersonal thing to develop. Most of the people listening to this are, have loved ones that are usually their children, mm. right? They like being a part of the group, even though they might complain. As soon as they leave, they relapse. Yeah. It's a funny That's, thing about treatment. As soon as you're doing well, you should leave because this costs money. Let yeah. me frame the conversation. There, all chemicals have some potential therapeutic value. These right. are just chemicals and they affect the brain. Mm, they just, you know, yeah. Duncan will argue that it helps you take the elevator up to some enlightenment, and then you take the elevator back down again. It shows you something that you can get. Yes, to. and it stays with you well, when you're straight. But he thinks you can get to that then by other means like meditation and so once yes. you've seen it. So there's work for you to do there that's non-pharmacological. The pharmacological always has a cost. There's nothing yes, in nature I is for that. free. The cost is typically anxiety, depression, cognitive, you know, motivational problems, that kind of stuff, or psychoses, you know, and or medical problems from depending on what the drug is you're using. But all, I mean, heroin has a therapeutic value, right? Alcohol was used for years as a therapeutic product, but these things all come with a cost, and so that's the question: is the cost worth the potential benefit, and how much can you really predict a real potential benefit from from some of these things? They're 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 not going to be able to stand up to real scrutiny. With the what FDA about like stuff. once every extre- few weeks? Doing but it. an extreme. Let's say somebody has as a veteran and has uh, untreatable, yes. p- uh, you know, uh, post traumatic stress disorder. These extreme situations, of course, you try stuff. You try because it's just so awful. There's nothing. We don't have other things. Well, Drew, but, answering your but question. But common white people problems, I, I just don't follow. Well, no, <laughs> you know no. I mean? well, no. <laughs> like, you just got common white people problems. Well, it's no, not answering my question and yours. Um, no, no. Um, no, look, I'm really learning a lot about black history. And <laughs> no, late in life, I, I thought, and Drew said something I disagree with. He what, said what, after the ahead. Civil War, there was Shangri-La, blacks and whites. No, Yeah, for I, a brief time. No, I never but, heard that. I'm yeah, learning history. No, well, you're talking about the Reconstruction, which was horrible. The, that was no, no, awful. I thought that when the slaves were emancipated, there was segregation, which is bad. Yes. But I didn't know. No, no, I didn't know slavery continued in Alabama oh, yeah, till like 1945. Stuff. Terrible that stuff. That it was, they would just say, you're a vagrant and own them and there's still with slavery so i i feel i've emancipated myself i feel like i'm the the white guy the, the black guy inside me yeah from mental slavery. slavery yes so None no 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 so no no i take i i know we're privileged <laughs> being white i take nothing for granted i'm no, reading but all it's these just, it's a books. louis ck joke and it and it is that all these problems 90 percent of the shit i hear is no no no, is no i'm really, not com- 
is to be depressed. Okay, I get it. It's no. a depressing society. We should do something about this But it's this chemical. Society. It's not. No, I learned that when some. Uh, no, I'm just looking. I'm just looking across. I learned. No, no. So what, when I went through this depression, I went through recently. Again, you're, you're being rational thought based. What What was getting to me was my mind lying to me and amplifying it that, you know, I'm unwanted, you know, it's all measurable. So no, I know rationally when my mind's not working right, yes, I'm lucky that, you know, I don't have a cubicle suffocating job. And I'm not trying to say there's people starving in China and you should eat, finish your meal. I'm saying that we've become such a neurotic, self-involved society that if we just switch things around, which is more of like Gloria Scott's way, but if you, you went need... down to Watts and tried to help some kids learn how to read, you wouldn't right. be so fucking depressed. But it, it's right, what... but sometimes it's chemicals. Yeah, yeah. He, he had real bona fide no, depression. No, I understand, but, yeah. but, but in that oh. paralyzation with chemical de- uh, depression is an inactivity that only leads to right. more deeper I, I depression. I agree with that. I had a paralyzing depression. I needed to get on some other... Medicine that's really helping, but but you can't just say to someone, do volunteer no, work no, or, no, no. or you know go to the depressed. gym. You know you know it, all this. Bob, rationally. it's a little bit like you back in the day going, going into the ICU in the psych ward. And, and I'm doing really well now. I'm I'm doing not, really- I don't know your case, and I'm not talking about your case. I'm talking about in general yes. in America, there is a tremendous amount of anxiety and depression and personality disorders that. In a society that says we're so loving and so kind and right. so Christian and so wonderful, when we have children starving, oh, when please. we have children who don't know how to read and, and nobody's doing any, and, anything about it, and, they want the government to do it. And we are right that families need to do it again, communities need to do it again, and and we, we all are, need to do and it. And by the way, we are intolerant. Freud's whole uh, uh, project was to. Not <laughs> when he came to the United States, they asked him, what, what's your plan here? What are you, what are you trying to treat? And, and he goes, well, uh, I'm interested in people with ex- not ordinary misery. <laughs> Anything other than ordinary misery, I'm interested <laughs> in. And, you know what I mean? The, the, or, ordinary misery is what life is. There's ordinary misery and then there's illness. And you had an illness, and I, I'm going to yeah. defend Fred on this one. No, but, no, but no there, I know. I but there's a philosophical question he added. That's what I'm going to get at a little bit, which is he asks a question about what's real. Because he felt differently in this altered state, and he was asking, "Well, why isn't that what's real when I can see all these things?" Right? Isn't that your question? Yes. Why is why is the physical world the real world when why is that not real when you're just you know the real world? The, I know crossing streets and paying well, rent. No, but not to get too existential. But, but but the real world is what's going on in your brain. That's the real world. Yeah. So if it's this, all, all I know is summing it up or summing up. No, no. First of all, yeah, it's. Answering my question about the honest thing that I told myself is that I said, Fred, if my life was, you know, again, I'm not complaining, but I'm just saying where I've had interactions and creative stuff to sink my teeth into, I wouldn't be trying to knock out the night with it. And I would argue, I I totally agree, Fred, that I think that's where the rubber hits the road. I realize that. And I think that, that it was an escape, an escape to a different place that was meaningful but it was still an escape and you yes, are much better and you are much better when you are engaged and exactly. and when you if you ha- and your for you engagement is a creative process yes. and you need to find that again you need to get no, that I, grab I'm it. getting it again right. like I I'm happiest bob when I have something um creative to sink my teeth I, I know that I love. but but I think uh, you know there there's a fellow named James Masterson that was one of the original self psychologists and he, he the conclusion of all his work was something he called the creative solution. He really believes that, you know, I, I believe a lot of it's interpersonal, but ultimately it, it's about creating, not just in the world, but in here, in yourself, oh, yeah. you know, what you create and how you build and grow. When and, you go volunteer with children, you go down to the mission, volunteer one day a month, you learn empathy and compassion. I'm not sure, Bob. I mean, I, you you did. do. Yeah, people I, do. I, Listen, I, people I, do. Yes, I know thousands of volunteers in Los Angeles. I rarely hear them say, "I'm so depressed." Oh no, I but listen, kill I would never discourage anybody from doing it because it does give you perspective. It, it does make you, you gratitude, if anything else. Yes, and whatever sometimes you wanna, empathy. Whatever words you want to. But I, I used to put a lot more faith in that creating empathy, and then I started realizing that people really—that's a slower taller or well, which, whatever you want to call it, the good words yeah. the good words get created oh, in helping man. less fortunate people the bad words depression suicide um, yeah. you know misery the anger frustration uh, uh terrorism 
this all gets created Look, by I'm not a lot defending of self-involvement. I'm not, I'm not defending not, myself. I'm just saying in general, there's a difference between someone whining and someone going, I know sad. I have it yeah. great, but I, my mind's not right. Yeah, yeah. So go to a psychiatrist yeah. and get some meds. Well, that's what happened. So, yeah, that's, that's, that's what he's better. I, he said that, that but, but in that process, he But everybody he knows that. You don't get no, it every no, pass. No, no, everybody no, no, knows no. that. No, no. I, on the contrary, there are people that have depression and they believe the thoughts. They believe their mind is right. I, you know what I'm saying? N- not only that, for, for, there are plenty of people with not what Fred had that go to psychiatrists. Shouldn't he waste, Shouldn't bother? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I, it's like it's like this yeah, is the real I, deal. When, Let this poor guy get seventy. When seventy percent of Americans are on some sort of psychiatric meds for sleep or for personality yes. personality problems, you can bet that most people know if you're not if you're feeling like killing yourself, go to a psychiatrist. I'm happy I'm not on a cocktail. All right, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Fred Scholar. All right, we're gonna take a break. Segment. That's Fred. There you All right, we're back with this live, Bob. Here we are. And we are joined by Anna David. Hi. Hey now. Here we are. So Anna is somebody, she wrote the best recovery book I'd ever read. And and I mean that's that's a pretty tall that's order. A, yeah, he's I, read a lot yeah. of them. I know. Yeah, when, it was it was that, so man. right and so honest and so from the right perspective and with the right everything, everything, all the right stuff was there. Just just the way like when we go to a, a treatment center, we're like, oh my god, thank god they're that's how, you know they're thinking yeah. this way. They're offering that. That was the way I felt when I read your book with I'm my like, completely narcissistic protagonist, which was an accurate depiction of alcoholism. Absolutely, absolutely. No, she you just were, hated that you were, protagonist. You, you were good in your disease, and you were described a good out. Well, th- thank you. You know how much that means to me. And and I, the reason I did a novel and not a memoir is that, with all due respect, I do think a lot of the memoirs about addiction get incredibly boring once the person gets sober. Not only that, they they. I'm certainly it was inspired by reality. I could tell. Right. And, definitely. And. Definitely. Uh, and you don't want to out people, you know. You you'd have yeah. to edit stories that were important. You probably couldn't even tell if you if the real people were involved. You know what I mean? You'd have to get their permission or whatever. This you could just have yes. at it with it with your rhetorical although, flair. Although I definitely I didn't I didn't think back then. This was my first book, so I didn't think about how people were going to respond. The people in my life were going to respond to these things. I was just completely ignorant, and I did have people. I had one person who who took the fictional version of her and and really, you know, sort of felt hurt and betrayed she saw herself and all in of it. these things. Yeah. What, how did you respond to that? Um, I was really surprised because it was she was no, sort no, no. of No, What did a, you say to her? Oh, that's a good question. It, it all happened over email. We actually, you know, weren't really in active friendship. Wasn't real anymore. human contact. <laughs> Certainly aren't in active friendship any longer either. But, but it was but it was yeah, it was I've learned a lot since then uh. about about uh showing people pages ahead of time. Oh, yeah. And um, and really understanding that it's not all about me, you know. I, I think that the way you do that is go look. That was not you, but you did inspire me. And yeah. here's how I'm experiencing. You know. I wrote a book about my life and my friends, and a couple of them were upset. And I, whatever, it's their problem. Did you? It's know- my life too. Oh boy. You know what I mean? Yeah, but uh, I guess maybe it's because I have a license. I can't do that. You know? Yeah, doctors can't yeah. do it. You did cracked. Yeah. But that was all fictionalized stuff. Too, That's but... Sasha for sure. Oh, you guys were there. <laughs> no, no, I told you I guys. I wasn't there. Sasha was. You weren't in it? I wasn't in it. It was before I worked there. Oh, is that yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. But Sasha's in it. Anyways, Drew did what you well, did. And so, and so was Dr. Freena, but I told them both they were going to be in it. I told them. That they were inspired the character. I told everyone. In and my what's life weird? You know what's weird? I, wait, wait. I got to some very spooky weird. Uh, after I put it out, Sasha read it and she was moved and liked it and stuff. And she goes, "Do you know my family calls me Alexi, which was the name I made up for that character." Oh, really? Oh my god! How crazy is well, that? Well, there are things that we know that we don't. Yeah, we got to make this the season. Loves that right now. Yeah, I, but that's not, it's so weird. It's not a name I normally like. No. That was the ghost but it, telling you. But it came you. to me, and it was like that's the name I want to use for this character. That's like Sasha. Yeah. What is this? You, this was a novel you did. Yeah, called Cracks, yeah. about rehab. Oh, you wrote, is that the one you It was the first book about rehab. Yes. Oh, yeah, I yes. did read that a long time yeah. ago. That was the first book about rehab. That was a lot, what, that came out in the 90s, yeah? Uh, 2000, it was, it, I, I, all I know is it was about a year after 9-11 because I developed a writer's block for months after 9-11. Mm. It was the weirdest thing. I just couldn't write. It was crazy. Because it was very, cra- I mean, it was a fu- it was fictional, you know. So I had to create all this stuff, and also, and it was obviously inspired by experiences and things. But I had to make sure that it wasn't really embedded in the experiences and stuff, and uh, unless it was just just mine, you know, not anybody right. else's. 
and uh, I just couldn't write anymore during 9-11. It was the weirdest thing. But time. why is it that whole memoir thing, if you go back to James Fry, and I wrote a book, and everyone I know has written a book, there's, there's actually situations that happen in my life where there are four book accounts of it you can read and they're all different right. I bet. and they're all different <laughs> well i wrote one of them what i don't know you were if you remember i interviewed you for the sizemore book oh okay yeah phone. yeah yeah so yeah that, <laughs> you are very prominently featured in that book there's one instance where when flea stopped taking drugs in anthony and flea and i the chili pepper story where it's in anthony's book that anthony kind of told him that he wasn't like us and he should save himself in that's, my, what, that's what they told you <laughs> <laughs> is that what they told you <laughs> that's what anthony he says in his book like the flea just wasn't bad like me and Anthony so it was better that he get out of here oh. and save himself oh, and then mine was flea just made up his mind not to do it anymore and moved out and then flea's writing a book right now about the same thing and he said that's not what happened either the Anthony thing or your thing what and did I was like tell you he that? just didn't want to be around us <laughs> <laughs> And that helped him get sober. Yeah, that Shocking. was probably more realistic. Uh, yeah. All three were true. Yeah, all three were true in a certain... It was obvious that he was not like Anthony and I. We took off like like Learjets. We've got to get Tom in here and do a... We, we're, doing, we're interviewing people we've treated through the, the television program stuff. Oh, that's great. Yeah, we I, did. He's doing really well, apparently. That's what I hear. And here's the thing about it. In Tom's book, he says I was his drug dealer or something. I, yeah. I got him... I had drugs and he wanted some. That's different. <laughs> and of course, you're going to pay for it. <laughs> That's not drug you dealing, were, You Drew. were his oh my God, unofficial. You were fucking unofficial. splitting hairs, dude. If, if I were a cop, you're his drug dealer. <laughs> it's not the same. It was like drugs I had, and I was at this club, and he wanted some, and I said, okay, I'll sell you half. And then you know, all of a sudden, you, you, I'm, you have I'm to... Tom Sizemore's drug dealer because he then became one of the all-time great drug addicts, well, and there's, then there's a I must be a horrible drug dealer. There's a crazy phenomenon of, it's only in Los Angeles, of these stories of people having multiple relationship histories in multiply different contexts mm -hmm. because addicts in this town run together. Oh yeah, yes. we do. Right? And so and so they all know each other. They all run together. They've all been involved with each other in some way and then there's other incarnations as life goes on where like literally Bob will go like I'll be working with Bob with a, a patient for right. a year or something he'll go oh yeah we used to do you yeah. know, slam drugs at that MacArthur party like what the what? Right. Or, or the one that really freaked me out was because that was years of working with Jeff and Jeff goes oh yeah Jeff yeah Jeff tried to help me get off of drugs I tried to Jeff, 12 step Jeff yeah, yeah yeah it, I'm not surprised it, it all circles back it freaked me well here's totally the intersection the intersection so that you sick. don't know that you don't it's underappreciated is actors want to be musicians and musicians want to be actors. I know. So they have this love of each other and this kind of cyclical weird thing where I'm just in awe of Tom's acting. And, and, Tom, and, and, and listen, him. And, and but Tom, he wants to play guitar in some shitty no, band. No, he wants to be he wants to be I Stephen know. Adler. When, when I saw him talk to Stephen Adler about wow. his admiration for his drumming, I thought, oh, that that's, that's isn't Tom that weird. I had to sit so there's and watch always videos that of Tom's musician music. intersection. Um. You know, one thing I will say about Tom is he does not let the truth get in the way of a good story. Yeah, he does not. So, <laughs> so a lot of doing that book was the reason I interviewed you and his old to manager. To try to figure out what's the truth. What was real, yeah. Well, to be fair, memory is a terribly yes. inaccurate um, mechanism. Yes. Especially when you're doing drugs. Then it's really messed up. Especially and if you're in a hyper. Yeah. How about a hyper sense of narcissism too? When you take well, the hundred people that hung yeah. out at the Viper Room every night for five years, they're all narcissists. They're all actors and musicians. They're all living their own fantasy worlds of what's going on. Yeah. That's where a lot of the intersections are. That club. Yeah, yeah. And that's where I met Tom. Yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, I was home doing cocaine alone. I mean, if only I had known. Well, but that you got to get you had a famous. To the club. I don't know if you talk about this at all. Do you talk about that? Oh, the, the... The boyfriend thing? Yeah, but that was in college. I'm just that saying. was pre, like, crazy. Can you talk about it? Yeah, it was in that Kindle single. So, yeah. So, so I dated Matt Damon before he was famous, and... In uh, Massachusetts yeah. or here? Yeah. In yeah, I, I went to Trinity, which was an hour from Harvard, oh, and I have a God. total Harvard so fetish religious. because... Um, no, no, no! I'm a, Trinity? I'm a Jew. I'm just like a terrible Jew. No, wait, wait! Trinity in, Trinity. in, in Hartford. Trinity in Hartford has not, no not, religious not affiliation. Religious. Oh, I thought it's you were talking about Jerry Falwell. No, 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 no. 
Definitely not. One of our kids came very close to going to Trinity. It's great. It was a, oh, isn't I mean, there a Trinity so Jerry Falwell there's, there's school? There's all kinds of there's Trinity like schools. There's like 70 okay. The Trinity yeah. is in Hartford. Okay. Yeah, I like that you're calling it the Trinity. Yeah. But I had this very much of like a sort of Harvard fetish, if you will, because yeah. everybody in my family went there. Oh, Jesus. And I... Do you know God who Robert Stobau is? God no. The head of the business school there. His son uh, was the guitar player in Thelonious Monster, and he was so not proud. Is he still? <laughs> yeah. Is he still there? No, he's no. retired a yeah. long time ago. But when we first played in Boston, I need some help for one of my kids. We went. <laughs> we talk went, that man. We went. I wanted to go see where um, Love Story happened. So oh, his yeah. assistant no. like took me to the hockey rink and the yeah. sta- the the baseball, you know, little park. Well, Anna decided to live that out. Did yes. you live it out? Yes. It is a great fantasy. Wait, which fantasy are we talking about? Love Story. Uh, love story. Oh, God. We're too, she's but too the young. girl has she's to die. No, I mean, yeah, uh, Ryan O'Neill. Like, well, she I got wasted and, left, <laughs> and drifted off, so to speak. Um, but, but so, yeah, so I used to go to Harvard every weekend, and, you know, yeah, he was just like a random, talented guy. I, the, the crazy part is I broke his heart. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Well, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to fuck that one up. Um, you know, one thing, what was I going to say? Baroque um, it. Um, oh, God, I had something super important to say when you were talking about, oh, well, Thelonious, um, John Huck, who oh I randomly know, didn't know till I saw Bob and the Monster. Oh, he's he the bass player in oh, Thelonious no Monster. He was in it with Bill Stilbaugh. Oh. That's so crazy. So weird. You know, that movie was, oh, and I did a story. I interviewed the director. Oh, she's Kira, awesome. Yeah. I interviewed you a couple times over the phone. But yeah. Yeah. And I, it, was, it was this intersection. I'm like. You know, and they did that awesome animation when you guys talked back in the day on. Oh my Love God! Line. Could you imagine so cool. that? Did you? But that what I cool. what I said to him was I know, so bizarre. So again, like the Alexi thing, like yeah, this yeah. weird. Uh, uh, if you haven't seen the movie, it's called Bob and the Monster. It's great. It's a documentary about Bob's life. But it, I they he was on my radio show back in the using days, Love Line, and uh, they pulled out old footage. And they made a claymation sort of, didn't they? It was cool, yeah. Drawing, thing, thing, drawing yeah. thing out of it. And, and uh, in it, I go, Jesus, if you get your shit, because he was giving these very empathic responses to people. I think it was addiction, too, you were dealing with. And I said, man, if you could get your shit together, you could make a good therapist one day. Right. And uh, I had no recollection of that, by the that's way. That's so we, weird. We came, you know how that's in there. Of that event? Yes. Oh, my God. So, so we, we were on... Yeah. We were on me looking at me. He like, wanted me to give a lecture to a group of people for his little. He was doing a little sort of expose at the, my usual lectures, and uh, in the front row was this guy with the hat. And I'm like, Gee, in my head, I'm having this head. I'm like, right. Oh my god, the guy looks like Bob Force. And but you could I, see him in the footage thinking that. And I like, like, and I, I made told everybody, and I thought, isn't that funny? And afterwards, he came up and, he, and I said. He goes, we know each other. I go, no, no, no. I thought I'd well, but this talent, you know, yeah. is, as, a, as a treatment professional. It's codependency and antisocial. <laughs> and codependent fit, fit yeah, together. It's, it's interesting. perfect. Interesting. Yeah. Because Bob is an antisocial. He's always like, oh, fuck the man. Fuck it. Fuck him. Fuck <laughs> I mean, I'm an antisocial type. Yeah. yeah. And I have zero of that, which is weird. What's I have zero your personality? Of that yeah. But what, I could be the, I should have been the man to him, right? But what right, is yours? Right. What is your personality? Oh, I mean, are we doing the... We should like, have people define their oh, personality disorder. Interesting. If you oh, have... Oh. Yeah, that's a fair thing. Well, I I mean, yeah, I think that's smart. I'm, <laughs> I'm happy to indulge. Well, she what already, do you think she already said. She said she called it. What did I call already? You said... in, in nar- Well... Oh, yeah. No, narcissism. I mean, how long do you have? I definitely... <laughs> narcissism, but not narcissistic personality disorder because right. I'm highly aware of it and that's you can't right. be aware of it if you actually have the disorder. Well, but. you can't... If you're borderline, you can't be aware of it. We can't uh, that too. Any, any true parasite disorder, you blame the world for everything. You don't take really responsibility for anything. And this is what we call narcissistic traits. Yes. Yeah. Without okay. a doubt. Which so we, we should do that we, with every guest. They yeah. should have to kind of say generally what's right. wrong with them. All right. What, yeah. All right. All right. Easy. <laughs> Easy. All right. Let's do Drew now. Drew. I have narcissistic your traits. Code for sure. Your codependent. Code severe codependency. Mm. And. Um, how do you avoid it with your kids? Workaholism. How do you avoid being your codependent oh, with yeah. your kids because you're not with your kids? Uh, I probably am. I probably, I probably contain it, and they probably feel it. <laughs> probably, probably is actually happening. I just try not to do it. But my codependency is a lot better because of therapy and stuff yeah. too. It's a lot better. But it ebbs and flows. It ebbs and flows. It can overcome. And you know me. what I notice with you? Yeah, you will come to the defense of the defenseless, like Khloe Kardashian or whatever the fuck the girl's name. No, is. I, I, I just said, listen. That's your codependency mm. defending no, her. I would disagree. I, I, Chris Kardashian. Which, what's her name? Khloe. Yeah, Khloe. I, I, that's that's almost my antisocial self <laughs> because <laughs> because I don't like people. I really have this thing about people being condemned for things they did not do 
And when somebody does something right, they, I don't care who they are, we need to say that's right. We need to say what that well, I think is. It's, I think it can be a shared responsibility. The Kardashians are difficult because they're just a representative of people of and materialism. Yes, and, we're and watching them. They integrate them. And our empty society that wants okay, to so, just sort okay. of worship. So we have tremendous disdain for what they represent. But she, this woman, has had this person that was important in her life have this horrible thing happen. Yes. And she has done some things that people were discussing in the press, like stay married, stop the divorce. I said, perfect. He needs a medical decision maker, and it should be his spouse. She's not a she should be making decisions. He's not he's impaired. He's not going to make decisions. She um, she went out there. There were a couple of things she was doing. I remember, well, one I thing she did because we wrote about it on the site was she's going forward with this drink called like drinks with Chloe, which well, is like you know your husband your ex husband whatever just had this horrible od and you're you're putting together a reality show about drinking i'm sure it's not entirely about drinking like skinny, it's like, like the skinny no it's going to be like, like in bed with joan right maybe but like maybe change the title i don't know if you know i would argue not oh interesting yeah i would argue not because you love her no he i don't really does. no i don't <laughs> you're defending no, her I'm, but i'm defending because it it it's I don't really, here's the thing i don't really have a problem with I don't her care you, or any of them yeah, i do it, have it, a problem with the mother See, I have a pro- oh yeah, I, but I have a problem with you guys taking after her just because it's her. My point is, you're judging her harshly because you I can't judge, stand this. I would judge anybody who did that. I, I think you're right, but but the what about the, the society? That I, puts I would on be, high I would be back. on a show called Drinks with Fill in the Blank because because I think it's dishonest if we don't make a clear distinction between people with a disorder and yeah. people with not and people if people want to use intoxicants in their life. Okay, whatever. We can talk about it during the drinks with whomever show. The difference, you know what True. I mean? Well, you, Except you, for this is a guy who was on Drunk History. Don't forget, yeah, um, which, <laughs> right. Which I, I think is now that that even that gets a little more concerning because you worry that maybe the guy's drinking. Maybe there was or, one guy was unconscious. Think, yeah. um, you know, I think that him. people think like, oh my god, there's Doctor Drew. I can't. Oh, I got to hide my drink. And which it's is like that, you, that bothers me. I know, and That's you have insane. no issue with no. non-alcoholics drinking. Yeah, he's a real buzzkill. I know. I'm interested in helping people stop or curtail or whatever they want to do who can't stop on their own but i will say one and thing are having problems as a result yeah about this drinks uh yeah w- you know the major misconception that addiction and alcoholism are something different oh yeah is important yep. also yep. that yep. you know yep. i know i thought like oh i'm just a coke addict well, and i like ambient and- <laughs> i don't need to stop drinking did you ever you know? crush the ambient up and put it in the coke no, that then you're not it. an addict. Oh, oh my god! No, no, no! I'll tell you why she is. She looked literally like crestfall. Like oh, I know. How did I that miss actually sounds that? awful. Really... That doesn't sound good. No, I don't no, want an up or a downer it's good. at the it's same good. time. Okay, I mean, I, I'll have to trust you because I don't plan on ever trying it. I didn't know it was. It, well, they used to sell these things called diazepam for a dollar it's a pill. It's valuable. I take like ten of them, crush them up, and then put them in coke, and somehow you felt like you were on heroin for like. About ten minutes. I was just reading this thing that they're using Ativan. <laughs> they're using Ativan to get people off of like alcohol drugs. I'm just like I was so addicted well, to Ativan. No, you can use Ativan for a few days, but it's it's Ativan has a weird effect. Is that it, in even when it's appropriately used in addicts, it increases their sense of desperation. Ooh. That's what I noticed. So I just why well, stopped using it altogether in any kind of detox situation, unless seizures sometimes. But um, you give them a give them a benzo they don't like called Librium. It's mm-hmm. a benzo. Yeah, go ahead. Fred wants to pop in here. Let's yeah, get yeah. Fred in. Yeah, he's here. got some Ativan ideas. Yeah. What's the difference, Ativan and Xanax? Uh, Zan- is Xanax is a more shorter fun. acting, <laughs> more fun, Sorry, more euphorogenic, has a little more antidepressant. Which one's property. more euphoric? Xanax and a little faster acting and a tighter binding and shorter acting. Why is, it's more Librium, why is Librium not a pleasant experience? It's again, it's a different chemical, has a different effect in different regions of the brain. It's all GABAergic, and you know, GABA is sort of a modulator. In some areas, it hits tighter and can increase mood and hit, increase euphoria, in others, not. When when you say these uh, bad for depression, pot and Ativan, is it because messing with someone who's on um, Lexapro, SSR, what are they called? SSRIs. Yeah, is it. Why are these things bad for depression, either pot or Ativan and Xanax? Well, a- Ativan uh, is addictive. 
And, and eventually yeah. you start getting more anxiety with it. You start getting into sort it of... It makes you want one. You, you sort of get into chronic withdrawal, and the withdrawal from Ativan is miserable. And so it kind of adds to your misery and adds to liability and stuff. And and it may have some direct... There's been concern about these medicines actually causing dementia. So, uh, many, people, so many people listening right now are going, oh my God, I take Ativan every day. Yeah, but you can take they it for a while. It's a <laughs> don't I don't feel like it's that popular a drug Not in right my now. drug using yeah, days. Because Klonopin seems to Klonopin be popular. Klonopin seems to be... But I would use Ambien and Ativan sort of interchangeably. Yeah, it's a little sleep-inducing. It's good sleep-inducing. Did inducing. you read... There's this, this study out that... Um, that Lexapro, or I don't know if you're on Lexapro, that it can stave dementia. Stave it off. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just what, Lexapro, not the other SSRIs. Right. So, there's, so again, there's, there's a little... All it also affects like your libido. Well, yeah. Le- Lexapro, less I so. I can't tell if it's Lexapro or middle age. Or the depression. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I got into antidepressants <laughs> at a good time. Yeah. Where it's, it's well, supposed just, to be that anyway. Let's ask a doctor. Yeah. What's the number one thing that people ask you when they, you put them on an SSRI? They go, this isn't going to affect that, is it? No, they used to never. That's why I went on that campaign to try to raise awareness about that. And that's where I got shit on because the the who funded that campaign was uh, a, a drug company. Uh, well, when you're in a so, severe chemical and, depression, and the only reason I got you understand the only reason I had any got any shit about it, the p- people don't understand what the issue was. Right, is because in a radio interview. I was just saying these medicines cause this side effect. Yeah. And the guy goes, well, what do you do? And I go, well, in my practice, what do I do? I switch to Lex, I switch to uh, Remeron, Wellbutrin, or Sarazone. Yeah. Sometimes I'll add Wellbutrin in, but I'll, that's what I do in my practice. And I forgot to say, oh, by the way, I'm, I'm getting I'm getting funded yeah. in this thing. Oh, but, yeah, yeah, And yeah, so that was, the whole, that was the whole issue. Yeah. One radio interview yeah. in a campaign that I did for two years, running around the country like a madman, doing something I thought was, a, I was very proud of that campaign. and. Because you yeah, could, because you know, it didn't affect your libido, that drug. That one didn't. And do you know so anyone? And well, libido is a libido is a nice way of well, saying. Well, I was going to say, do you know anyone? <laughs> erectile dysfunction with a severe chemical depression and has a big libido sex drive already. Yeah, they yeah. don't. If no, you have they don't. A big, right, severe chemical That's right. depression. See, so, so, what are they afraid of? It could only get better. Well, well I'll <laughs> tell you, I was on Effexor for fifteen years. Yeah, and getting off of it, Terrible. it was. No, well, it wasn't that bad. I did a taper. Oh, you got lucky. But um, but also, I mean, I felt like a 16-year-old boy after I got off of oh, it because yeah. my sex drive had been so tampered down. Yeah. Did it stay for, that way to stay up? Kind of stayed up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's just you. That's good. Yeah. yeah. So, but, but, but when you're in a big depression, though, you don't have a good sex drive, right? Exactly. So, when I would go, when I would try to go off of them, yeah. I would go, I'd get so depressed I wouldn't want to have sex. So I'm like, well, why not just be on them? And and not have a sex and drive. Semi yeah, to. why not yeah. be healthier? Not have a, yeah. yeah, so it's. I think yeah. Once at first, uh, I was put on something called Pamelar for. Oh my, it's old one. That was an old one. I had a not for depression, but I had a got assaulted and have ligament damage in my face. Oh my god! And um, this guy, it was the worst place. Did it's you not a, know that, Drew? No, I didn't know. How that. bad was the head I got trauma? Assa- um, I got assaulted in New York. Did you have depression before the assault? I think all my life, uh, I've had a lot of stuff. But so, it got more severe after the head well, trauma. Well, a lot of issues because um, yeah, nerves was damaged in my face. And then I got TMJ. I, you know how when you have a knee, it's either through um, arthritis, either through uh, football players get it through an injury or you get it through, um, what's it Aging. called? Aging. Mine was ligament damage through an assault on uh, my face, you know. And so then I had this TMJ that they couldn't God. treat, and and it f- fucked me up because all my life I've not had my feelings validated, and my girlfriends and oh, it's in your head. Well, it is in my head, yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know they think you just will it away. So I'd go to these physical therapists oh. that were very incompassionate. There's like a funny story where I went to this UCLA place. And they, and this very impatient nurse going, I see thousands of people. Why can't you do the exercise? So I was so afraid. I went to another physical therapist to get coached for this one. <laughs> but um, so part of the treatment was they were very cold at this place in UCLA. And they put me on Pamela for the serotonin. Yeah. And... I, I've never gained weight from Lexapro, but this one yeah, ballooned yeah, yeah, up, yeah, yeah. dry mouth, yeah. and 
it really could it cause really sterilization, was, vomiting, death. No, no, that's the old. No, no, but, got but at the end of every drug commercial, there's always like yeah. God, all those things, and we just like, oh, but yeah. I won't be sad but anymore. But I was on it for not depression, but for the injury. What could you tell me about Pamela? All Talk medicines me are dangerous. They're dangerous. Pamelor is the old. Remember, you guys remember this term? Tricyclic antidepressants. Oh, wow. yeah. Remember that? That's I, I should have been treated with that when I was in college mm. with my panic attacks. I'm pissed to this day that they didn't offer me that. They pff, fucked me up. But uh, it was a very powerful, good. Uh, it, it's caused a little drowsiness. It caused a lot of dry mouth. Like uh, Seroquel? Had, why did I what? gain weight on that? Some of those side effects. I've never gained weight on yeah, it. Yeah, well, the tricyclic, in, any of these can make you gain weight. <laughs> let me tell the you, gaining weight would not be bad for let me. Let me tell you a side note, very funny story with Dr. Drew. Uh-oh. So there's a client who <laughs> he put on, I think, Depakote or whatever. I put on? Okay. Yeah, and she's gaining weight, mm-hmm. and she's very conscious of weight. Mm-hmm. So then Drew is getting frustrated with her because she is also a very personality troubled person, uh-huh. right? I almost and feel he, like I know who this is. Go you on. know who it is. Okay, She go was on. actually on a TV show with us. Oh. So, who I maybe got sober so, with? So, <laughs> probably. Back so, in the day? So, she's telling me, get him to understand, Bob. Get him to understand. I go, dude, really, literally, it's, she's going to use again if she gains any more weight. So we need to take this serious. And then you saw her and you were, you know, like you got it but I guess you had said like what would you rather be like suicidally depressed and on coke or like have 10 pounds overweight and to her she'd rather be suicidally depressed and on coke but I don't think I would say unless I was really busy that day I don't think I would say no now think of who it was Come I have, on, I have Drew. no fucking idea. But, but you need some Lexapro so that your memory is better. I, I, but I don't. Breaks. I don't. I don't think about people in those kinds of categories. Right. I mean, it's just it was the personality problems were so predominant. Well documented personality problems in the media. And it was at Lost and Saints retreat this week. Yes. Okay. I, I so, know. anyways, but the point being that that these people, people like us, are so crazy. Yeah. They'd rather be high than than over yeah. well, ten course. pounds overweight. Of course, uh, but listen, I and get I think all you're that. always you're always sensitive to it. But when somebody's batshit crazy and it's keeping them from being batshit crazy, you can't understand why they would want to be that way. Yeah. Well, the whole concept of people not taking their meds is so strange to me. You know, you always hear that. I mean, especially about people who who kill themselves. Oh, yeah. well, he stopped taking his meds. Like, why? Meds have yeah. just. Uh, helped my life so incredibly much. I would occasionally with Effexor, I would forget sometimes and be like dope sick. That that withdrawal. Terrible. Well, I think just... they do it bipolar because I they, think when yeah, you have a bad bipolar, better. then you're you you like the high. Yeah, you like the high, or yeah. you they feel they're not as creative when yeah. they feel they're yeah. this middle thing. Yes, they don't like that, and, and they like the manic of the high. That's exactly right. I mean, the guy David Strickland I work with from Suddenly Susan. He was the one that. Oh yeah, he, he died uh, in with Vegas. Andy Dick in Vegas, and he t- stopped taking the medicine. Sadly, hung himself. Yeah, but a lot of those. By the way, uh, uh, bipolars are more likely to kill themselves than ma- manic than depressed. Oh. Yeah, isn't that weird. That Why is, is that? interesting. No one really knows. They just get these. They get you know, it's just like a somebody at LSD jumping out of a window. They get very impulsive and they but, just. Oh, I'm gonna kill but I think. Um, when people, they don't realize the medicine's working. They go, I don't need this. And they stop. They go, I'm good. Is that why they stop taking well, it? Well, it's like yeah. sobriety, too. People feel better. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm like, normal. Oh. I don't need this. But you asked about way back about pot and, and depressant effects. It, just exactly the way you experience it, it can work short term, but it depletes, it downregulates certain regions of the brain that are associated with uh, affect improvement. And by the way, there's been a lot of show about depression today. There's there are mag- magnetic treatments now for depression too. Doctor Hutton's that. doing that. Is that that's real? Oh, it's fantastic. What is that? It's without medication. They can blast magnets Get in. Get out of here. Yeah. So it's like a outpatient shock treatment, or yes, a... yes, it's the same idea, but it's using magnets, not electricity. Does it affect your memory the way shock? No, uh, there's some little side effects like that, but not nearly as profound as as. Uh, oh, I had a thing about therapy. depression. By the way, what do you think of this theory? I like asking three men this: <laughs> that men are better able to tolerate depression, whereas for women, it's it's like I'm jumping out of my skin. Now, yes or no, because two things. First of all, there's a study that middle-aged men are uh, killing themselves yeah. at an alarming yep. rate. Yeah. Yep. I think, oh, we hit 50 or this, and all the stigmas, supposed to own property, supposed to have this. I don't know. There's a lot of middle-aged men. And what you said, I think maybe women, because of... 
PMS are more used to their emotions. <laughs> yeah, no, I you think know that's just our hormones. Make yeah, you're us more so. used to it. Yeah, you've had it your whole life. So maybe, and, and yet you're. I think you're onto something. I don't disagree with that. I wouldn't say PMS, but they're more emotionally. Uh, Aware. Yeah, and I present. do think that's what it is. I mean, I don't know the statistics about women killing themselves versus men killing yeah. themselves, but but I do think this constant awareness can be very uncomfortable in your day-to-day life, but ultimately... But the other thing I've noticed, women in, women in mood, they tend to, just the way borderlines use projective identification, women in emotional stress... Y- push it out onto other people yes they, they not even act it out it's kind of a pushing it out yes. like you need to experience what i'm feeling <laughs> i'm not happy till you're feeling this like oh i, I thought do. that was just me <laughs> well they and they project like uh, uh someone proje- i know projective identification i won't say who it's projective identification Wait, but she keeps putting her shit on me yeah like, you know fred you you always dwell on things and it's her thing stop uh, talking about kathy griffin like no. that no, it's not Kathy anymore. <laughs> um, Kathy punched. punched uh, no, she asked to punch right. me. Oh, she asked it. nicely. Okay. Well, that's nice. After sex. After she, sex. She, she, um, what happened? Oh, yeah, yeah. She said uh, she just saw a TV movie about women that abuse men physically, and she wanted to do it. <laughs> I right. said, no, I have TMJ. I can't get punched. <laughs> it would aggravate it. She goes, I have hostility towards men. I said, why? She goes, they rape, they go to strip clubs, and they see porno. And I said, kidding around, I only do two out of those three. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but she at least asked me. She wanted Can to I hit punch me. punch you in the face? She I, wanted to punch unfair. you in the face? It's unfair to bring... Let's, let's stop, because I love Kathy. It's no, I love her, her too. Yeah. I just tell that story. It was a yeah. salacious chapter in my book. But uh, she's, <laughs> she ha- she's uh, cool. So she's really... Uh, why didn't she just punch you in the stomach? She should have asked. Yeah, no. <laughs> stomach. <laughs> yeah, no one, Not no one punches people in the stomach sexually. Ask, it's, this That's is back to question. women in depression. Anna, <laughs> yes. explain. Oh, Why the face? Yeah. You know, I am for all, like I have been, I, I've never hit anybody. And I'm not saying I deserve a medal for that, but I am surprised how many women I know who are like, oh, weren't you like pulling hair and like shoving your friends? Like that was never, mine has always been more, if I was going to be abusive, it was going to be emotional and verbal. Oh, it was never going to be physical. That's the worst. I have a <laughs> fear be, yeah, of any women, and, even if I'm oh, yeah. more horrified. More, way more horrified. I have a yeah. fear of women, even if they're not dating them, being mad at me. I don't want people mad. Like anytime I don't get a text return, they're mad. I said something. But that's so codependence, women, right? Yes. If we're diagnosing yes. everybody. Yes, I don't like, uh, don't, I want to please people. Yes. And, but let's yeah. get to let's get to why middle aged men are killing themselves because I have a theory. Go ahead. Okay. I think it's hopelessness. It's I don't well, think middle aged men are not giving much. Hope, I just recently went through this. I have a little bit of experience. I am a middle aged man and I have depression. So okay. when a divorce when a when a family is going to end being a family, mm-hmm. it's always the man. Even though we're all equal and everything's equal yeah. and equal this and equal that, it's always that the man has to leave his home leave where his children live right. and live in an apartment by themselves. Right. And I would wonder how many of those men, because it got deep this year, yeah, the depression. I could see that. And you're just, yeah. you know, at first you get all excited, like, I got my own bed. You know what I mean? I yeah. can do whatever I free, want. Free, free at last. Free at last. Yeah. Like, but then there's a deep, deep depression. I think a lot of men in America are going through that, and it's politically incorrect to say, why do the men have to leave? Right, right. Why, you know. I, I would, I, I, I'm. Uh, well, you're going to have an opinion. That's, well, I'm just, what, what, what do we accomplish by transferring that mood problem onto the women, number one? And then number no, two, but, I'm not sure it would abort the mood problem if you just stayed in the same house that was empty. But it could. I think that there's something to that. that I'm just mostly talking about social norms that we say we're an equal society, but always nine times out of ten, the man lives leaves. Well, but we say we're an equal society, and women are getting screwed over constantly. I mean, it's not remotely. I'm 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 in disagreement with that right now because I'm (laughs) living like a hobo (laughs) while my wife lives in a very nice house. The one thing (laughs) because I have um, a lot of friends and uh and my brother and stuff like that who are going through these divorces <laughs> and the laws in california if you have a kid unbelievable what can happen to you haven't men. seen my you haven't seen my documentary divorce corp please watch really you have oh, that oh yes i did it with another I, I, what's I happening to your it. brother i want to hear but it's, it, a, but it's just happened to me it was no, a project I I was de- a lot of it was a project i was delighted to get behind uh, i was i was the voice for it but it was well done 
and it is about how particularly the childcare stuff ah. just they just they just rape you for the analysis and the fighting over the kids and then what so, you end up having so to pay. So we and, started fighting, and then in the end, I just said, you know what? I don't want my son's life to change in any way. Okay, let's do it, well, and I'll figure it out. But that that all be well being said that that's the right thing to do and and keep everything as steady as possible the toll it takes on men living by themselves and starting over at 50 years old is yeah. unbelievable I'm not well surprised. and i and i do think and i realize this is uh incre- i have all sorts of sort of anti-feministic things i will say <laughs> but i am horrified because basically what the what i've been learning is that the man basically cannot go if there's still a kid under 18 the man cannot go and like buy a big amazing house without having to buy a big amazing house for the ex so that that child uh, lives you know, in a like environment i mean and and you know and yeah. uh, whatever and a lot of the women aren't working at all I, so anyways you know. i just thought that that might be an interesting I note have a, of what's going on across america because the divorce is out of control but I, I have a theory yeah so, like men, because their whole lives are more arrested development in that <laughs> they, you know, women their whole life it's about and they're preparing themselves for not being all attractive as they get older. Right. Men could kind of, you know, still be think they're like a 30 year old when they're 45, 50 trying to date. Yeah. And they're not as stigmatized as being older. But then when they really, let's say, get to be about 60 or whatever, or late 50s. You know what I'm saying? It just blows them away because they're not prepared. You know what I mean? Okay, I think that's interesting too. As somebody, I, I do look young for my age. Right. Men fall off a cliff. You mean. Right. Yeah. Women are preparing for that cliff. Well, they, they think they're old when they're 32 and they're yeah. not. Guys, well, like me, for example, I, I'm more delusional. Not that I'm going to get a hot <laughs> chick, but, uh, but you know what I'm saying? But, but I'm saying that all of a sudden, oh my God, I'm really old and we're not as prepared for being old. You know what I'm saying? Where women are prepared. Okay. Younger, well, okay. and they're more in reality that way. Uh, so my, I, I come from this family where everybody just genetically looks really, really young. My yeah. mother mm-hmm. is seventy six and yeah. looks like fifty, and nice. um, and and so for my whole it's Italian. No, we're Jewish. Russian Jews, you Russian know. Jews. Oh, my like father's from skin. Russia. Usually Jewish. those look 80 when they're 40. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think the Are you sure about that? Because there's a lot of lies going on generation after generation. By the way, I have no idea. There's like, oh, I did 23 and Me. You know that thing where you spit in a cup and you find out really oh, what yeah. you are? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and I've got very little, but uh, some Native American. Whoa. Who knew? Whoa, who knew? And I'm 2.6 Neanderthal. Nice. Yep. Wow. That yep. explains a lot. Does it not? Does it not? <laughs> but but one thing I was going to say to Fred's point is because um, I've I've looked younger than I am. How is that, that even am, possible? That what, I have two point six Neanderthal. Neanderthals were co-creating oh, with I the. Know. I have the same. Holy you better check moly, yours, Bob. I've the same thing. I've always looked younger. So then I'm used to looking younger. Then now I start to look my age, and it, you know, we're not used to it. Oh uh, yeah. Saying? When people actually say like, "When how old are you?" and I tell them, and they're not surprised. I'm like, "I because you used but, to always being the baby. But know? but I do think, you know, sort of I confuse looking young with being young for a long time. Yes. And it's sort of hitting me that I'm the age that I am. Yeah. But 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 uh, let's get back to the white man. Let's get back Sorry. to us. Yeah, yeah. Which is because which is, it's an important topic. And I, and I don't think anyone's really addressing it. I think men feel so disempowered on every front. There's nowhere for a white no man. No more so than in mediation, Drew. Uh, well, everywhere. Everywhere where it counts. The the male, particularly the white male, is completely without any resource, without any advocate. Nobody's advocating for fine. drug addicts, and nobody's could, advocating. We have, we have all for kinds men. of privilege and all that stuff. I get that, but when it comes to empowerment, how about empathy towards hopeless. men and it's their hopeless. issues? It's interesting. Men What's... are killing themselves at the highest rate in America in history. It's, it's a hopeless. Nobody could give it. a fuck. Yeah. You know well, is it because you're supposed to own property and, and that's what I judge myself? But, I never but, owned a house. I never had a family. I'm a but man. But that's not preventing anybody from being depressed, what you have. Right. Um, you know, I, I we, we just ran a story on After Party. This, was, this is interesting. This week where one of my writers said something like, blah, blah, blah. And the audience was made up of a bunch of white middle class men or middle aged men. Yeah. And we got all these comments from men who were offended that she wrote that. 
And what did she write? She, all she wrote was like, the audience was made up of a bunch of Mostly white, middle-aged, middle-aged yeah, men. Yeah. That's and, offensive? And that was offensive, and it kind of speaks to what you're saying. That like Was it a U2 a, concert? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you're not allowed, like you're allowed, it was, it was so interesting to me that there was this knee-jerk response to sort of uh, this group that is because considered the most privileged. Because I think men are getting angry finally. I think they but, are. But, there, but there's a hopelessness. There's a real hopelessness that's setting it because there's no dynamism. There's nothing to empower. There's nothing to say it's good. Keep working hard. It's going to get better. But how are they, how are women more empowered than men? It's certainly the rhetoric is, you know, it's, I get behind it 100%. I mean. But I mean, how real is that? You know, when we were talking about the sort of equality, it's, it's real in divorce. Let me, let me tell you my opinion about it. There's in this society, there is not equality. There is just the rich and the rest of us. Right. And the rest of us need to fight, stop fighting amongst ourselves. Right. And that that's where political correctness is. That's where all this class warfare, this racism comes from. There's, you know, 90 percent of this pe- the people in this country are basically three paycheck, three months away from being homeless. Right. Yeah. And that's whether more, you're making 150,000 a year or whether you're making 36,000 a year. Well, if you and any. that's the truth of it. Yeah. And economic, the, the, I just know I grew up, my mom was a stay at home mom. My dad wasn't a particularly huge breadwinner, but we had two homes. We went on vacations. That can't happen in America right. anymore. Right. That's and it. everybody right. needs to ask that's themselves the why. Yeah. Yeah. Bernie Sanders for president. <laughs> but I, I don't, I'm telling you, I don't think the government's going to solve it. I don't have no faith the government is where right. the solution uh, yeah, is. Yeah, I don't think it's possible. But uh, anyway. Anyways. We got to wrap this up. This don't kill yourself. White middle fun. class men, don't kill yourself. Don't get on antidepressants you and guys, just deal with the sexual dysfunction. This was freewheeling everybody. Everybody give their plugs. Anna, plugs. Oh, check out After Party Magazine, the, the website that I, that I created and I edit. And there's a podcast called After Party Pod, which you are on, Drew. Mm-hmm. And it was good. a wonderful episode. And I have books. Go get Party Girl. Drew says it's the best book about addiction. And we'll the, see. How about the Sizemore book? Do you promote that? Too? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't get any money from that. Not no. that I get money from any of them, <laughs> let's be honest, but no. being an author is like... Uh, but I did write Sizemore's book. Uh, t- uh, by some miracle, I made it out of there, which was one of his lines from Saving Private Ryan. Yeah. Um, that's his life. That's Tom's life. Fred? Um, so plug what we make money from? If, no, plug no. anything you want. <laughs> no, just kidding. Well, my book, uh, my Seinfeld year Kindle single, or maybe we'll have you back. My books and uh, just uh, that, I All guess. Right. Guys, really, it was fun. I appreciate it, Bob. Anything? Peace out. Peace I'll out. be at Starbucks. Hey, and a reminder, everybody, uh, you can check out thislifepodcast.com. You can find the podcast there as well as at podbayfm.com. And a reminder still that this is a Playroom Pods production. I think they should message it and not say what it is. And the person has to click on it. And they'll go, oh, my God, what is this? All right. However, do you tell a friend? We certainly yeah, advocate that. It's on your iPhone. I'll show you. You How? just push, you push, you know, uh, share feature. There you go. Share feature. Uh, <laughs> fine. But in, and send it to a bunch of your friends. Subscribe on iTunes. <laughs> subscribe on iTunes and just do tell a friend because that's how this thing's going to get off the ground. And also, if you want to support it, please go to drdrew.com and click through on the Amazon banner. That helps us out, too. It doesn't cost you a thing but keeps a little wind in the sails here. And uh, we really do appreciate your support. I love them both of you.